This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show this week. You're listening to the Everything Went Black podcast. This week, please welcome John Adams and Toby Poser of the Adams Family Wonder Wheel Productions. They brought you this past year's Hellbender, The Deeper You Dig, and some other shorts that might be of interest to you. And for those of you who listen to Necromaniacs, you will not be strangers to the Adams Family. This time around, John and Toby join me uh, Zelda is not able to make this conversation, and um, you know she's a busy young lady uh, doing a bunch of really cool stuff. But uh, this time around, we talk a little bit about films. We focus a lot on music, and in some of my other conversations with these guys, I picked up that they are also fans of a lot of the same music that I like, a lot of the same things that have influenced me. So we decided to have a talk primarily about music, and it was a lot of fun, as usual. There's a cool playlist that was put together, and you guys can find the playlist either by following me on Spotify or by checking out the show notes at everythingwentblackmedia.com, where I post all that stuff. A lot of you guys don't know, there's a, there's a website out there called everythingwentblackmedia.com. Before we get going, I want to thank everyone who has joined our Patreon for as little as $1 a month, you can support the podcast and get access to a bunch of really cool bonus material. Whole other shows are uh, existing on the Patreon platform. There's a weird fiction show that Ralph and I do called Long Shadows, and we discuss uh, a lot of our weird fiction, the way it crosses over into films compare and contrast philosophies of certain stories by Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, Thomas Ligotti, you name it. We're just getting started on that, and uh, it's a lot of fun, so let's get into it. Now, of course, Everything Went Black exists in the greater universe, along with my podcasting brethren, the four horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse, and that would be Horror Wolf 666 coming at you on Monday. Tuesday brings you into the necrosphere. Wednesday is everything went black. Thursday is horror mania with the Necromaniacs podcast that I co-host with Mike Scadato and Jeff Kashid. Nice. You got a nice clean kitchen. You know, the last time we spoke... Um, you commented on that. I really appreciate <laughs> Tells you something about ours. Man. Yeah, exactly. I see a kitchen like that. I'm like, how? I guess he doesn't cook. <laughs> no, I, I do cook. You know, I cook a lot, actually. I mean, you know, especially during the pandemic, you know, I was, you know, here by myself and, uh, you know, I like cooking. Anyway, it's a nice looking kitchen. I like it. Well, thanks. So since the last time we spoke, a lot's happened. And um, I, I checked out your appearance on uh, The Last Drive-In. You know, I'm a huge fan of Joe Bob's. And um, normally I watch those live, but I was away. So I had to wait to come back home. 
and then you know binged a bunch of episodes and uh that that must have been a real a real trip like you know meeting up with a legend like that and you know it was interesting to see the show uh see the, the show feature hellbender you know which i thought that was great it was crazy right out of left field we couldn't believe it when they asked and you're right the guy's a legend and darcy's wonderful too and their whole crew that puts that show on are a fantastic group of people. So it was incredibly generous. And working with John Brennan and the Big Feet, they, you know, it was so much fun doing like our version of their song and then they, they're doing their version of our song. It was just, it was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's awesome, you know. And, uh, but you know, the, the, the funny thing is that to a lot of people, Hellbender is probably a new thing. You know, and and anyone who's listening to this podcast should check out the everything the uh, the Necromaniacs episode that we did together about Hellbender. But you guys um, are probably way past that by now because I follow you on social media, and uh, you guys already have like another film that's either wrapped up or wrapping up. So so let's you know I know you probably can't talk too much about it, but uh, you guys move fast. You know that's all I got to say about that. We. We, we stay on our toes. And yeah, we it's love wrapping it. up. Yep, we're wrapping it up. It's called Where the Devil Roams. Uh, it's about a family that's on the carnival circuit, and they're kind of artistic serial killers, and they run into uh, they run into some problems, and it's up to the daughter to sew the pieces back together and keep the family unit thriving. So it's a cross between Bonnie and Clyde meets Frankenstein with the Grapes of Wrath thrown in there for beauty. No, some giant Ste- John Steinbeck, you know, that's yeah. a good, good reference in there. Yeah. So is it sort of a road movie too? Mm, you know, it all takes place in the Catskills. So it takes place like it's, it's kind of like we've invented kind of like a, a horror carnival circuit that takes place in the winter. So it's not there's we have a 1931 Chevy that stars in the film. And it is beautiful and is so cinematic. So in a sense, yes, it's a road film, but it's more a country road film. And it never leaves the mountains of the Catskills, the movie. I'm looking forward to that. Um, you, you guys have any idea when that's gonna you know, be released or you know, any kind of you know, time frame for any of that? No, I think we're gonna be editing it um, this like early fall. So hopefully oh, okay. it'll be done being edited by then and then we'll just see where it flies. Yep. Just as a summary, because some people that listen to this show have not probably been familiar with our episode on uh, on, on Necromaniacs, but just as a quick rundown, uh, you guys are a, 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 um, a filmmaking family. Uh, I personally am a huge fan of your films. Uh, I got, was introduced to you guys with The Deeper You Dig and then went back and I saw uh, um, Knucklehead Jack. Yeah. No. <laughs> Wait, is that the, did I get that wrong? That's great. We're going to rename it that. All right, Knucklehead Jack. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, you know, Hellbender came out and I was an early, an early adapter of that. And, um, you know, I've been a big fan and I'm following your career. So uh, that's just to give everybody a little intro. And this episode... We covered all the film stuff on Necromaniacs, but one of the things that always that that seemed to stick out was I, I caught on really quickly, especially in Hellbender, that music plays a big part in um, you know, in in 
the creative process and you made some references in our earlier conversations about uh, the inspiration with the way that you attack filmmaking being similar to the Ken mode SST mindset. And right then and there, uh, I felt like, uh, you know, okay, these are music people. So what's, what's the extent that you guys are into music, John, I know that you, you had a, you, are, are a musician and there's bands and Toby, I know you're a big fan. So how important is music to you guys? Music changed my life. Um, and I, I think probably the same band that pro- I'm going to guess changed yours because you're a big everything went black, you know, fan. And so and here we go. I wore it just for you. But um, I was, I don't know, 14 years old and um, people were listening to Journey and, you know, Def Leppard and stuff like that. And I felt like I didn't really love that stuff. And I felt kind of out there uh, wondering, like, why I didn't like music. And then suddenly this kid rolls in from Chapel Hill and plays me a band called the Angry Samoans. And it was a song that was it started and finished, I think, in 26 seconds. And it that moment like i can zero in on that moment as integral to everything that my life became because it showed me that there's life outside of the box and um and there's people outside of the box that i want to be with and so music is massively important to me always has been but it really took a hard turn when i was 14 years old and i heard punk rock yeah, no, yeah, I, you know, I guess I'm pretty polytheistic when it comes to music. I just, I've, I've, growing up, I grew up in in the '80s, and uh, my brother was really, you know, I was introduced to punk rock through my brother. Um, we lived in Baltimore, so he, <coughs> he was really, um, he worked at a place called the Loft in Baltimore, which had some really great shows that came through, and so, uh, but then you know, a lot of my friends were listening to. Madonna and then I had some who'd listen to you know Bauhaus and <clears throat> Talking Heads you know it, I just started out kind of loving everything except I've never really gravitated towards country um, and I'm still kind of like that I'm sort of like people and music I like a lot of different people I like a lot of different music but I love 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 to listen and it's really cool being um, partnered with John because he's constantly playing music <laughs> So I feel like I'm a fly on the wall and sometimes I get to buzz around his head a little. Mm-hmm. Well, one, one of the cooler things about the Hellbender, I'm going to call it the Hellbender Project because, right. you know, it's a film, a horror film, a folk horror film, but it's also on a larger sense, uh, this creative outlet that includes like a band, right? And that music, the Hellbender music has in, infused itself into the film. So it is kind of this... Um, you know, project, if you will. Um, and Toby, you, uh, you, you sit, you play in that band and John, are, are you also involved in that too? Cause I know Zelda and Toby appear in the film, you know, in the band, but you know, what, what was the sort of germination of that? How that, how that come together, the band, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It really came together because when the kids were born, I was in bands, I was in punk party bands and, um, 
Lulu used to come to all of our shows and then she wanted to be in a band with me. So we started a band called the Hot Roses and the Hot Roses did gigs and we had fun and we played music together. But as Lulu grew, grew older, she, she wanted to play soccer and she wanted to do some other things. And so immediately, as soon as Zelda, I mean, Lulu stepped off the stage, Zelda was like, well, I'll just take that microphone right from her. Thank you. And so we started a band, me and Zelda, called Kid California. And that band lasted quite a while. We did a bunch of shows and um, wrote a lot of music together, you know, but it was more heavily influenced by like what I liked. But as Zelda grew older, she really had a, a, a bigger influence on what she wanted to do. And she was playing uh, drums in our band uh, called Kid California. And she said one day, hey, I really would just like to sing. And so that changed a lot of things where she really had a bigger input on how the songs were written and what kind of music we were playing. And so we really kind of set out in the desert looking for our sound and looking for what we wanted to do. And I listened to the music she brought to the table. I kept bringing the music I liked to the table. And Hellbender, the movie, really grew out of a video that we were shooting of a song um, that we had really written together she at the time was really into Billie Eilish and she was like, let's do something kind of Billie Eilish like. And I really love the production value on Billie Eilish's music. And so that was a fun challenge for me to kind of like listen to her stuff and be like, okay, how can I integrate what I like with that? So we came up with this song called Black Sky. We were out in the Oaks in California shooting a video. And when we got the footage back, we realized like, Oh, this needs to be a movie. This, this is this is beautiful, and and so really that video inspired us to set the wheels in motion to make the movie Hellbender. And once Hellbender really came into existence, Toby started singing more in the band, and uh, Lulu was home a lot more, so she started singing, and we became a four piece again, and that was really cool. So, you know. But I have to jump in here. Let me just say, John is like the monkey, you know, that monkey toy that's like doing like the cymbals and banging on a drum and like tapping its head and chewing bubble gum, blowing <laughs> bubbles. John, that's like John. And so, so he's so modest, but he, you know, with our bands, <coughs> he's writing the music. I mean, I mean, Zelda often contributes ideas with that too, but, um, but John's kind of, yeah, he's the monkey. He's kind of like doing it all. And then he's, and then we kind of come in and Zelda will lay something down. Um, and then Lulu and I like to put something over that because we kind of, the three of us are related. So our voices kind of go together. They way. really go together. Great. But John's, you know, he's writing it, he's playing it. And, um, yeah. I mean, with the movie Hellbender, I secretly wanted to make a musical. Now, I'm not a big fan of musicals. I don't like musicals, but I told my old bass player, I was like, you know, secretly what I really want to do is I want to make a musical, but I don't want anyone to call it a musical. I, I want it to be driven by music because music's so fun. And having these two in a band together visually does so much for their story in, in Hellbender. And it does so much for their characters. And then lyrically, it helps drive the story. So it was just like, just perfect for Hellbender. And because it went so well, we're actually integrating our music again, but in a totally different way. Like we're not using the same bag of tricks. 
total different bag of tricks. But our next movie, When the Devil Roams, is filled with our music. And now I think we really have a distinct sound, you know, because the four of us now have really gotten used to everything. Um, and these songs have a very distinct sound. That, well, that, that's, that's the odd thing about, uh, I relate to what you were saying about, you know, I love music, I love films, but I'm not a musical, I can only, I'm not a fan of musicals, which is strange because you would think those two things would sort of lock groove together and work. And when I watched Hellbender, the, the musical aspects jump off like right away. And I was like, this might actually be one of the first times that a musical has actually entertained me and resonated with me. So I was like, oh, nice. I was like this is actually really cool because it's like, yeah, there's these two ladies are out in the woods. They love music. And what that's what you I would do. I mean, if I was in, in you know, the two characters shoes, I would start a band, you know, and the fact that that she wants to play a gig is sort of what opens the doorway into her crossing over into the, the larger world, you know, and the whole thing just really makes sense, you know, and um, any guys out there who are listening, um, who haven't listened to Necromaniacs, uh, uh, Shudder is featuring Hellbender right now. So you can watch it, you know, and, and definitely check that out. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what we're talking about or any of this stuff is like, oh, this sounds like a really cool movie. Definitely go check it out on Shudder. But yeah, that's that's um the first time I think I've actually really enjoyed like a musical. And and then there's 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 interludes within the film that have like this montage like sort of feel to it. And but the whole thing really carries a narrative, you know, and, I, and it was one of the most unique like viewing experiences I think I've had, you know, really. I mean, you guys shared with me a uh, a screener of it way in the beginning. And I was like, wow, this is like really interesting because it combines, you know, not only film, but horror films. Uh, you know, there's like that woodsy, like full car stuff, the kind of pagan witchcraft aspect, which is something I also really, you know, appreciate. And then, of course, like heavy rock music, you know, there's like a real heavy, like Sabbath-y kind of thing going on with, with the, the Hellbender band, you know. You know, you're playing the Lemmy bass and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. So. You got to play a Rickenbacker. You know, once <laughs> Lemmy played, once he slung that over his shoulder, you know, we all have to. Hey, yeah. speaking of, you could do a great cover of Killed by Death. Oh, wow. You heard that. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's, um, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, who doesn't love Motorhead? You know what I mean? It's like there's certain bands that you just like, you know. And um, so I guess you guys are Motorhead fans too then. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I saw Motorhead and uh, they were wonderful. And, you know, I saw them with the Cro-Mags and uh, I saw that same tour. Oh yeah. With SOD. Yep. Uh, well, actually I saw it in Boston and um, it wasn't, uh, I'm, uh, SOD was not on that, on that particular leg of the, or that we weren't on that show. It was a uh, Cro- was though, right? What was that? Was Wendy O. Williams? On yeah. Wendy O was on it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Cro-Mags and Motorhead and Wendy O. Yeah. Yeah amazing it's funny like i i interviewed harley flanagan from the chromax like a few years ago and um he was talking about that as being like one of the high points of his you know being in the chromax and and i was like oh yeah i saw you guys on that tour he's like really because like you know i that that's a long time ago man and, and he, i'm like yeah i saw you guys at the channel in boston you know and it's like wow you know that's that's a long time ago but that that's like um really that that show was was like 
aside from being one of the loudest shows I've ever been to, really made me think about music in a different way. You, you know, the Cro-Mags were like hardcore band, you know, right. with metal influences. Right. And Motorhead at that particular time, I had no idea what to say about them because they were like these like scary looking biker guys. They had a dude shredding these like solos. They were, yep. for, for the time, they were super fast, yep. but they were like a rock band, you know? Right. And it just kind of, I think that was one of the most, um, you know, formative things for me is to see them play because it was like, yeah, you can kind of put all this stuff together and, and make something cool. You, know, you don't have to just be like, all right, we're, we're a heavy metal band or a rock band or a punk band or a hardcore band. You can just kind of push everything together, you know? Yeah, they ran their own set of rules. That's what turned me on about it, too. I mean, like Motorhead. Motorhead was kind of like, even though they weren't a punk band, all of us punks revered them like as kind of the kings of it. And I think probably because they started in the mid-70s. So like even before there was punk, they really were punks. And, and then, you know, the heaviness and the quickness that they brought to music really played out in the hardcore scene. And then obviously hardcore kind of boomeranged back into it with bands like the Cro-Mags who added that heavy metal element. And then you have like, uh, you know, suicidal tendencies throwing in the metal. And so it's like, you know, but in fact, Motorhead was already doing that in, you know, in the beginning. Yeah, totally. You know, and and that's the thing. It's like, you know, you would, you'd even read about some writers would say that Motorhead were like a new wave of British heavy metal band, which is like, to me, like way off base. You know, that, to me, that's like bands like, you know, early Iron Maiden and like uh, right. Tigers of Pantang and, you know, bands like that. And Motorhead were just too gnarly for that, you know. I agree. I never, th I never, ever thought of them as metal. In fact, I don't even know what I would call them because, you know, because their image was so interesting um but their music is their music is just singular i mean that's the thing about motorhead especially when they were a trio and then right around when we saw them they were four piece but um you know and then they kind of got into a more polished kind of metal sound like you know uh but you know in in the beginning man that stuff is just incredible and i think also something cool about motorhead is they lived the life there, there was nothing ungenuine about them it wasn't like it wasn't like they put on clothes to get on stage. They just wore the clothes they're wearing on stage and their teeth were knocked out and they were, you know, they were living it. And that, that you could just feel that you could smell that. Literally, because if you end up wearing the same clothes that you play in, you definitely <laughs> start uh, developing an, aro an aroma as a result of that, for sure. <laughs> so one of the coolest things that, I like to do with this particular podcast is um, I like to put these uh, playlists together and um, you know, when you meet people and um, it's always interesting when you give someone free reign to just put together something without like any kind of criteria to see where that, what they come up with. And um, so you guys came up with some really cool stuff and some of the stuff I'm not familiar with, which I think is awesome because now I have some new stuff to, to dive into, you know, so uh, actually, yeah, I guys, don't know what Toby did. I'm like, I'm really interested to see which ones Toby picked. <laughs> there might be a surprise on there. Actually, I'll bet you there is. I'll bet you it's going to be a jazzy number. <laughs> we'll see. Well, let's since we're let's start with Toby's list. You know, one, yeah. the only thing I the only criteria is you had to pick five songs. You know, and then you guys, you know, so we have a, a nice hour of material approximately to everyone to listen to. 
excuse, excuse me. So Toby, you want to, you want to start your uh, run down your list and talk about the bands and why you pick these songs and that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think the first one I had on there was big business mm. and, and that um, the song, uh, focus, focus, focus. Ooh, nice. And um, that's the song that kind of turned us on to them circa 2000. Um, I think that came out maybe 2006, but um, when maybe, <coughs> anyway, these guys, so it's like a duo, you know, you got someone on bass and someone on drums and they often collaborate with the Melvins and we saw them actually collaborate. They, they played and then they, then they were playing with the Melvins on the same night um, at Warsaw in Brooklyn. Like, I don't know, maybe that was like 2007 or eight, but um, <coughs> these guys just like, Oh my God! It's just, just like if if you could like if if I could imagine what a sound of like a rock wizard sounded like on a top of a mountain, you know, like I, I just love the guy's voice. And then the two, I love kind of drum bass duos. I like drum guitar duos too, but I love duos and I love drums. In fact, there will be like a thread between the most of the songs that I picked probably because they just have crunching drums, you know. <coughs> so. Yeah, so big business. This song, Focus Pocus, is just like, take my advice, don't go any closer. You know, it's just like, it's so good. It's the kind of song that I'll just play on repeat, like a big nerd. Do you have any songs like that where you're just like, I got to listen to it again? And then oh, you yeah. play it on repeat like 10 times till you get to the grocery store, you know? Um, do you remember when we were turned on to them? Uh, I don't know years, but I remember when they came across and it was just phenomenal because, you know, it's just a sick, driving, distorted bass and this drummer that's just playing out of the darkest tribe. It's great. It's just two, two tracks that are phenomenal. Yeah, and the song itself kind of sounds like a Western. Yeah. Like if a Western yeah. was like metal, you know, yeah. it's like, it's got that kind of like almost, you can imagine that like if Ennio Morricone was, was making a movie about Excalibur he would have this as his theme song do you are you familiar do you like do you know that song and yeah yeah i'm familiar with them um also i want to i want to also point out that there are two pieces similar to the way hellbender is portrayed oh, yeah. in the film hellbender Hell you know, yeah. bass and drums so uh you know that when i saw that on your list i was like oh yeah of course that makes sense right. <laughs> yeah yeah and they were yeah. carp. Like before they were big business, One they were, them, they were yeah, called carp. carp. I, yeah. yeah, I think the drummer, no, or the bass player I, I was carp. I think the bass player. Bass player was carp, yeah. Um, I forget his name. The drummer's name is Cody. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, that's my first song on the, on the list. Do you want to move on to the next? Do you want to keep talking? Yeah, well, well just real quick. I, 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 I've been interested in them because I was a fan of carps too, actually. You know, I remember... Yeah checking those guys out like in the nineties. And, um, and then when I found out about big business, I thought that was pretty cool too. And, uh, and yeah, I've seen the Melvins play with, um, you know, those guys in the band too, you know, so that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. The next band on your list, actually, I, I'm starting to become a fan of them as a result of you putting this on this list. So, so yeah, let's move on to that, that band. Oh, um, I'm trying to remember the order that I did it. Does it start with an F? Yep. No, no, it's uh, Ap Aptera. Oh, oh, Aptera. Oh, but that's the yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, my God. I can't wait to talk about these guys. So Aptera is this, like, multicultural band out of Berlin. 
but they've got so they're four piece they i'm familiar with the drummer sarah nadorf and she's from um the united states based in berlin she runs the um final girls berlin film festival she's one of the um you know runners there and uh she so she plays drums and then they've got like uh they've also have got people from belgium germany and italy and these women these four women just fucking slaughter your ears i mean i got turned on to them when i was in berlin at that festival and then i've been following them ever since and they just came out with a new album called um you can't bury what still burns and it's just great and then a lot of their themes are the the song i um i wanted to talk about was voice of thunder which is the first song on that new album you can't bury what still burns but a lot of their themes are like mythological so of course i'm digging that too like and aptera itself the word aptera is a place in um greece i think it's on crete where it's the original locate it's the location where the um sirens battled the muses so in Greek mythology, this battle went out there and the story goes, I'm going to just go on this tangent because yeah, no, go ahead. That's what this is all about. <laughs> so, now, um, so they battled it out in this place called Aptera. Um, and I'll get back to what that word means. Uh, and the sirens who were like these human like creatures and they had like scales, like fish and wings, like birds. And they of course had wonderful voices, like, you know, them from the, you know, from the Odyssey. And, um, you know, they would lure uh, men to their deaths in the depths of the sea. And they were kind of known for their, basically they were very back, they were backward thinking, like they would promise, you know, um, glory, but a lot of it was they would entice people with um, past glory. You know, when people who always want to capture that past glory, glory. So they had a lot of hubris when they were like, okay, we're going to challenge the muses who are like the goddesses of, you know, art, science, and creativity and literature to a sing-off. So they're like, yeah, the sirens are like, yeah, you know, we can sing and then we'll, we'll, we'll battle off with the muses. And they totally lost because, uh, you know, the, the sirens were singing about, kind of like past glory and thinly veiled destruction. And the muses were singing about like progression and divinity and, you know, um, prosperity and all that kind of shit. Anyway, the muses won. I kind of probably would have voted for the sirens. But uh, in essence, the sirens lost. And so then they lost their um, their wings. They lost, they lost the feathers on their wings. So they turned white. And then they just like fell to the depths of the sea. And that's where they kind of lived out their fate and that word aptera means i think it means oh uh no wings and um yeah so i think it means like no wings or something so that's the background so this band aptera these four women sing about a lot of like cool mythological shit but their music is just this sludgy doomy crunchy heavy heavy shit that i just I'm just so in love with them. This song, Voice of Thunder, you know, you got these like, these, you know, crunchy drums and, uh, and, and the lead singer is just, you know, she's like a banshee and, and it kind of has this great build and I'm always about the build of the drums and, but they're great. They're really proficient players. They're wonderful on their instruments. Have, have you? That's great. I, I downloaded the record off of Bandcamp after, after, you know, I previewed all this stuff and yeah it's like this sabbathy kind of celtic frost kind of vibe to it you know and the vocals are what really grabbed me um 
you know, it's, it's like the super aggressive kind of like epic, like sounding vocal thing going on. I really dug it. Yeah. Aptera. Yeah. Um, out of Berlin. I'd love to go. I'd love to see them. I think they're playing right now. Are they, are they like an independent, like completely independent too? Because I was trying, I, don't, I didn't see like any kind of label information about them. I think that they might just be like an independent band. I believe so. Yeah. That makes it even cooler actually. Is Ripple, is Ripple, um, I Ripple Records is coming to mind. I don't know if that's who's putting it out or if they, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, I know they had like a really cool EP, which also had some amazing music. And that's what I was turned on to in 2020. Um, but uh, this was their first full, fully formed album. Yeah, and she's actually, Sarah's been, the drummer's been talking to me about collaborating on a video. So oh, I don't know, that, cool. that might be fun to do. You know, she actually wrote us because she wanted to use um, images from Hellbender. And so uh, for one of the last song on that album, Nepenthes. <clears throat> um, so I don't know what's going to happen, but it'd be fun to, uh, to kind of join forces with them. Yeah, the, the imagery from Hellbender, I could see fitting pretty well with their music, honestly, you know, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So the next one on your list is the F band. Yeah, OK. The Fu, Fu Manchu. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and that's the Let Me Out is the song. I I just love that song. And again, the the, the drums and, and, and the lead up. I mean, I'm a sucker for like a good lead and that just builds and then explodes my head, you know. And then the end, you know, the let me out, you know, um, it, it's just a uh, I don't know. Like I'll start singing the song if I, if you're not careful, but um, yeah, I love it. So I love, 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 you know, um, but the, and then the, the guitars in, in, in that band too, they're just, they've always got it like full frontal. That's um, there, there was that, well, they've been a band since like the eighties, I think. I think they started like in the early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Like lingering around. And then I think, it, and then I, I found out about them. Like, I think that man's ruined, seven inch that came out in the late 90s i think because i used to collect all those because they had like great you know frank kozik artwork on it and you know some of the bands i really dug would put records out on man's ruin so i just ended up buying all the 10 inches when they came out and that's how i found out about fu manchu and i was like yeah this is cool it's like uh you know bands like um like caius and nebula it's all sort of is that is that do you like bands like that too like you know caius and nebula all that sort of Absolutely. kind of stoner rock. Whole stoner rock crew. Those are those those changed. I mean, we're heavily influenced yeah, by at least always... the guitar fuzz sound of all those bands. You know, and like the very first Queens of the Stone Age album to me is like the blueprint for per perfect stoner rock. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, and I I even like their later stuff too. I mean, you know, they they expanded their sound a lot more. And, it almost has like this kind of like David Bowie like vibe to like their later, you know, Queens records that are like, you know, different instruments and, you know, the vocals are obviously a little bit different, but some of that stuff I think is some of the best, like, you know, um, non-extreme like rock music that's being made really, right. you know? Yeah. I'm really attracted to a lot, a lot of that. Um, oh, you know, backtracking a second, something I only realized not long ago was that the original, um, I mean, that the, the drummer from the Melvins, was it the original, uh, that he played on like the Bleach 
you know, demos for Nirvana that he introduced oh. Dave Grohl to those guys. Right. I had like never known that that connection. That was kind of interesting. Oh yeah, Dale Crover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that that guy was, I guess like Kurt Cobain and the, the two main Melvins guys, I guess they were from the same town in Washington. Yeah, I know they were playing in Aberdeen too. Like they I think think they were from like Montgomery and then moved to Aberdeen. But um anyway that was just that was a pro that was non sequitur backtrack. That is interesting. So wait, Chad Channing didn't play on uh, Bleach? He played on the like recording, but on the demos it's ah, understood. Yeah. Cool. Which is pretty fun. Um should I go on to the third the fourth? Sure. Um uh, let me give me a clue what, what was the begins with a T. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're Scandinavian. Oh, okay. So this is a band that I threw in there because it's another song that I listen on repeat on my way to the fucking grocery store. I don't even know if I'm gonna say the name of their their band right. Turbo Negro. Yeah, that's how I pronounce it. I don't know okay. if I I don't know if that's the right way either, honestly. That's how I say it. You know. I'm a total newbie to them, so I'm I'm just I'm admitting I'm like like this you know total newbie here, but. I'm really in, and I think they slightly predate the hives. They're from Norway, but that song, Back to Dungaree High, just, I can't stop listening to the drum. Again, the drums, the drums, you know, it's just like you lead in with this, this, these drums, and then you just like, you know, you're going to get there. And it's just like going out to the top of a roller coaster and you can't wait to go down. And, and so, and, and he's, and they're kind of great, you know, punchy, you know, you know, driven, uh, driven singing. Uh, are, are you, I don't, what can you tell me about them? Cause I don't know much. Well, I, I know they're Scandinavian. Uh, they're from Norway. Um, you know, they, they're, I'm, I'm not overly familiar with them. A lot of my friends really like them. Um, I've never seen them live. Um, and I know recently one of the members passed away. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, rock and roll, um, you know, a little bit more uh, aggressive rock and roll with like a tongue in cheek sort of uh, vibe to their, to their lyrics and, you know, they're a fun, a fun sort of band, you know, and, and the stuff I've heard, I like. And uh, what comes to mind is uh, there's another band called Helicopters. From I was Sweden. just going to say, yeah. They, yeah, that reminds me oh, a little I, bit of them. You know, Helicopters are a little bit less, like, fun, I guess. But, you know, I think some of the guys from Entombed, some of the members of Entombed are also in Helicopters. And, uh, but yeah, it's just like that rock and roll, like, hard driving, kind of upbeat sort of stuff, you know. Maybe, maybe like a Stooges influence, possibly. Yeah. yeah, you know, a shinier version of all those bands, at least I, I, I think, is um, Danko Jones. Do you ever? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, you know, because it's straight rock and roll. It's not like it's not punk. I don't think of that stuff as punk. I, it's not metal. It's rock and roll. And Danko Jones is rock and roll. But it's, it's with very, a sense of humor. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's very well produced. Turbo Negro and Helicopters are a little dirtier. You know, yeah. it's more recorded in a room. It's like, you know, so. And like punks, punks like Turbo Negro. Like you'll you'll see yeah. like you know some kid with like uh you know like a Turbo Negro pin on his like leather jacket with like a misfit skull on it or something like that. I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Like an album cover or something with that. You're so right. You're so right. Yeah. So it's there. You know they're like they're like in a way they're like Motorhead. Like they're a rock and roll band for punks. You know in a way I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have a lot to explore with them, but that—that's just one song that kind of sticks out for me that I—that I really love. Um, and I'm like a kid, you know. It's fun when you—it's just so much fun to get introduced to new music. 
And I mean, you could be 90 and still be introduced to amazing music. You know, I hope I'm 90 and still jiving on uh, music that people are introducing to me. Well, our daughter, 23-year-old daughter, just sent us a oh, great yeah. band called Slowmosa. Have you listened to them? No. It's if okay. So that if you like the original Queens of the Stone Age album, it's kind of like as if. Like let's let's pretend that Queens of the Stone Age took a right after that album. Well, these guys took that and they took a left, and it's really wonderful. Kind I couldn't. Yeah. It's so cool. Like you know, it is in the vein of Caius and all those, but it's but it's but there's something original about it. It's not like a knockoff. It's pretty cool. If you get a chance, spin some slowmosa. Slowmosa. Horses. Horses is a great tune to start with. I almost okay. was going to talk about that today, but it's hard when you're picking five. Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. yeah I stepped out of line. No, yeah. I, um, I, I definitely like, uh, you know, I'm always looking for new music. I got, you know, people that get to be like, you know, in our age group, I think, oh, yeah, I only listen to, uh, you know, whatever stuff in the 80s or 90s. And, you know, I don't, I don't, nothing new is good, you know, and, and I'm totally opposite of that. I mean, I'm always, you know, obsessing about new bands or looking to find new stuff. And, you know, I have a friend who doesn't watch any new movies. I'm like, right. that's insane to me. You know, that's like, yeah. you know, you, that's like completely, uh, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. You know? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. My friends, like I'm on a bunch of Facebook groups with friends from high school and it's like, we're, you know, and I love it, but they're still rehashing which Iron Maiden album is best. And it's like, it's fun. But I'm kind of like, and then I love it when my daughter sends me slow mosa because I'm like, good, because I don't need to hear Run to the Hills anymore. I love it, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll go see Iron Maiden and they come through again, but like, it's not through. all that I'm about, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I mean. There was something beautiful when we were kids. If you didn't hear it on the radio, you'd have to get turned on by your friends. You know, someone would slip you like a little cassette that you had to kind of use your little pencil to rewind where it, you know, or rewind the tape when it got out. And there was something romantic about the hands-on experience of that. Like, you know, people that's, you know, there was something so communicative about how you learned about music back then. But then there's something beautiful about today too, where like, I wouldn't have really known about that Turbo Negro if I hadn't maybe, you know, heard a playlist um, or been on like a, you know, a radio for, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what I would have heard, you know, yeah. but like like some station that just brought it up, and so that's wonderful. I mean, I'm grateful for that, you know. Um, but okay, well, that, that's one of the reasons why I do these playlists is because um, you know people check out the show, and it's like you know, it's I always get a lot of good feedback about, oh yeah, you guys turn me on to this new band that I'm into now, and um, but I I actually still if you hold on one second, Mike, I love for my close friends. I still make cassette tapes for them. Nice. You win the prize. You are cool. That is cool. That is great. Because that's like, uh, you know, I don't know, the tactile. It's it's cool to send something in the mail and it's handwritten, you right. know, and you draw some cool stuff on there. And then it's like a special thing, you know. I felt it right in my heart when you just showed me those things. Because that's like, that's like what you would give people you like. You're like, yeah. I'm going to turn you on to this and they put it in your hand and yeah, and you see their handwriting. What do they doodle on it? What did they, how did they title it? You know, and then you listen to it. It's like the movie, it's like a gift wrap oral, you know, like prize that, and I remember I made John a mixtape, you yeah. know, when I was starting to dig him, it's like, it's like the, the greatest, you know, gift of lo love note that you can make, you know, that's cool that you do it. So there's one final 
entry onto your list here. Yeah. It begins with a B. Yeah, the song is the song is called Rocks and Bricks. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Banana oh my God. Fish Zero, and it's a it's one of my favorite songs of theirs. But there's you know there's a, <laughs> a lot to talk. How could we like not talk about my own? I like my I'm his biggest groupie. That's awesome. That's so I, that's so funny. But it's you really always supported fun. that song. When I, I wrote it, you were song. like, "That's a good one." And we put it in one of our movies. It's in Knuckle Jack. Knuckle Jack, yeah. But um, yeah, it's got a, it's a real thumper. And uh, Banana Fish Zero was a three p was a trio, uh, out of New York City in the late '90s and very very early 2000s. Um, yeah, John played guitar and sang, and then we got Prince Hal on bass and a guy named Texas on. He was a great drummer, and um, and these guys, what would you call ourselves, like party punk? Yeah, they they like just like they had a scene, then you know the downtown New York scene. They were just they're like dirty darlings. They it was really fun. Were. We were a car accident wild. waiting to stop happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people love them. They still love them. They um they were fun as shit. But their music was great, and that song in particular, Rocks and Bricks, is just dum 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 Um, it's just great. I like being hit over the head with a brick, and that song does it. Awesome, Toby. You know, it's funny, John. You mentioned that you're you played in a party punk band, but you never mentioned the name of the band ever. You know, and I was like, you know, like in the past when we've spoken. And you're like, oh, I was in a party punk band. But I'm like, I was way, I'm like, well, what's, what band? You know, but then I was like, oh, I don't want to push it. Maybe, you know, I know that sometimes I don't like talking about bands I used to play in. And like, it makes me uncomfortable. I, was like, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. So, you know. No, I love, no, the, the memories, uh, that band was just a beautiful band that I love. I just am embarrassed to self-promote. So I, I, I don't like self-promote myself, but, but Toby just promoted me. That was so nice. That was so cool. And the, the other two characters in the band, I mean, we really lived this kind of, that was an honest life. We slept on the floors and we played the music and we wrote to party. Like that was, that's what we, that's what we were doing, but it was like good humored. It was like, we definitely, we're there to have fun. We weren't tough guys. You know, actually we played naked, played in our like G strings because it would completely disarm like the, the just, it would just completely disarm the whole house when these guys would walk out naked or in their G string. Like everyone's like, Oh my God, okay, well, these guys are harmless. And then, <laughs> and then we proceed to have a great time. Right. It was really fun. Yeah. Just a great time. It was fun to like yeah. watch their gigs over the years. I mean, and, uh, and we were part of a very fun, wonderful New York scene. It was yeah. really thriving. Um, it really started thriving kind of for, you know, for whatever reason, like it really coalesced after nine one one, we were all in the city, we were all downtown and these clubs just were filling out. I think everybody, yeah, continental CBs, but really the continental was so great and CBGB's Arlene's grocery, you know, all these really great theater, uh, you know, clubs and we played up and down kind of the East coast. It was so fun. It was just a great time. I saw one of the videos. Um, there was a music video that that was shot at CBGB's and it got me super nostalgic for that time, that time, man. You know, like, cause I was, I was at uh, Bowery electric a couple weekends ago and uh, that's like right next to where CBGB's used to be. And yeah, I was like I somewhere over here with CBGB's now it's like a, you know, John Barbados, you know, 
right? Exactly. Yeah. It's and it's actually if you really want to go to CBGB's, you have to go to uh, Kennedy Airport, and there's a store, it's a CBGB store, <laughs> and it's so funny, you know. But yeah, it was really lucky that those guys filmed that video there because uh, it's nice to see it. You can smell it. Totally. Once again, it. yeah. Going down those steep stairs, you're lucky nobody died. You know, going down backstage oh, I'm sure all the way did. down backstairs into, in the gnarly like bathrooms. It was so many good things happened there. And, and Continental was my favorite, of course. Did you ever play Continental? Uh, I haven't never played the Continental, but I played CBs like tons of times over the years in different bands. And, you know, I've been there a bunch of times. Like I, I've been to the Continental to see shows, but I never played there actually. The Continental was kind of what was cool about the Continental was CBs was famous. You know, it was like you got to play CBs. Somebody in, you know, Istanbul had heard of CBs, you know, same size. But then there's the Continental that just was, you know, very genuine and real hard. And the owner was this tough, great character named Trigger. And it was with the hat, really, right? Yes, with the hat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, it was just, I just loved the Continental because there was no pretense to it it was just a black box with an excellent sound man who actually the guy's the sound man's name was noel and now he does sound for dinosaur jr he's been oh doing, wow he's been doing their sound for like 10 years after he left the continental so he's a yeah really, see, the, great, great. I, I don't think that played is it still there the only place left that you would the, from the original days, and it's not even from the original days, is Arlene's Grocery, which really yeah. popped up in the 90s. And uh, that's all that's left. Did you ever go to, uh, you remember Coney Island High? Oh, yeah. yeah. She that used was to go there all the time. We played Coney. Yep. Green Door. And, um, yeah. That was a cool club. It was that a was a fun cool. time to be in New York. That was more of a glam rock kind of scene. Like, uh, you know, like each one of them had a, a kind of particular kind of feel to it. That was definitely like, a little, a little more glamorous, a little cooler, you know, degeneration kind of thing. It was cool. We used to love brownies too. Yes. Like we heard a lot of great stuff at brownies. Brownies yes. was fun. That was here. fantastic. That was high quality shit right there. Yeah. They had a pretty uh, eclectic uh, amount of, you know, different types of bands play there. Like I saw Voivod right. play there one time actually. Right. Yeah. And a, a Voivod played there and like, I don't know, like Fetus was there one time. You know, like yeah. weird stuff, you know? Yeah. There totally. was this booker there named Chris who had like excellent taste, you know what I mean? And it was very hard to get into brownies. But if you got in and you brought a crowd, you could go back. And But yeah, we always saw amazing bands there. Like Thin Lizard Dawn, who, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard them. They've, no. They, they're terrific. But um, they were one of those bands that was signed to a major label. They threw it against the wall. It didn't stick quite right, so they didn't yeah. push it. But when I go back and listen to Thin Lizard Dawn, I just think the musicianship is exceptional. It's so good. Oh my God! And yeah, the voice, the, the voice is there. Yeah. Incredible. Did you ever? Did you ever go to the Trash Bar in Williamsburg? Yeah, definitely. There's yeah. some that's a buddy of ours owned that and um, owned. Oh. That's gone. Yeah, and, yeah, that's um, gone. Yep. Yeah, that whole part of that's way different now. I used to live in Greenpoint. Exactly. Yeah, it's totally different. You know, I used to live in Greenpoint, so I was always in, oh, okay. hanging out in Williamsburg all the time. Like you mentioned, Warsaw. Like I used to, I've seen tons of shows at Warsaw. That's actually they used to have the uh, Garage Shock there. I saw like the you know the Electric Prunes play there one time. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, it's just really cool. 
I lived at 680 Manhattan in Greenpoint. Maybe we were neighbors. I lived on Huron Street, so yeah. Nice. Not that oh, that's far. So, that's so cool. Yeah. There was a, I was there, I had a thought, but uh, it's gone. So okay. <laughs> um. So that that rounds out your list, Toby. And uh, you know, all this stuff's going to be in the in this everything went black Spotify, uh, you know, playlist uh, extravaganza. And uh, people will check it out. So, John, let's move on to what you got in store for everybody here. Okay, Toby might have to show me my list, but I do know that it started out with, uh, which I've already mentioned, uh, the song You Stupid Jerk by the Angry Samoans. And yeah. like, as I said before, so I won't repeat myself long-windedly, it changed my life. It was fast, filled with curses. At that time, 1982 maybe when I heard it, something like that. There was nothing like it. You you know, like Triple X Records was putting out stuff that, um, you know, none of us in upstate New York had ever come close to hearing like curse words and like it was kind of vile. It was a little scary. It was just and it was like actually looking back on it, it's unbelievably well produced. Like a lot of punk rock is really badly produced. But if you listen to that Angry Samoans back to Samoa. Oh, and the album cover. I remember the, the kid showed me the album cover and I was like, it was art. It was like, it was art that I had never seen before. And it was also horror. It was like, what's that sea monster or whatever, you know? It's like, oh yeah, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon, yes, right? Yeah, that's, that's on the record holy, cover. Holy yeah. like King Kong's airplanes, you know what yeah. I mean? It was just like, and it was orange and blue and it had that newsprint kind of touch to it. And I had never seen anything like it. And like I said before, you know, people in my high school and in my school, they, they were listening to Leonard Skinner and 38 Special and Journey and stuff like that. And um, so when that came across, it changed my life. And I saw a poster that had the Angry Samoans on it. And it also had a band called Black Flag on it. And so my next thing was like, okay, I love this band, the Angry Samoans. I went down to the city and I was like, I'm going to go try to find this band Black Flag. I want Because they'll probably sound like the Angry Samoans. And uh, so I got a band, Black Flag. I got everything went black. And, and that again changed my life because it was not as well produced. It was super dirty and somehow it seemed a little more dangerous. Like, like I thought that the Angry Samoans were dangerous. And then when I listened to Black Flag, th that seemed really dangerous to me. And I freaking loved it. And so I got my friend to go with me to go see Black Flag at a place back in the 80s. I don't know why Black Flag was playing there. It was called the Reggae Lounge. And we went, they played with the Meat Puppets who everyone threw bottles and spit at and, you know, like were punching. And But the more insults the Meat Puppets got, the longer they played. And I remember watching them just, the audience was, at this time, it was kind of New York skins were on the rise. So there was like a very skinhead kind of vibe going on, even to see Black Flag. I'm not really sure why, but um, when Black Flag came on stage and th the first song, the place erupted into a beehive. And where I was from, I just had never seen anything like it. I didn't expect it. I, no one had, you know, we were the first people to see that from where I was from. And I, my friend looked at me and he said, his name is Andy, and he looked at me when this place just erupted. People were falling off the balcony. Henry was, you know, and they just were, we had never seen anything like it. My friend turned to me and he's like, 
we got to start a band. (laughs) 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 And he was just like, yes, we do. So, you know, the next day we had punk haircuts. And, you know, we were kind of the first to roll through our school like that. And it was really interesting because we were like, I wasn't a very big person at all. But going with that punk vibe, we just became these strange outcasts that people looked at like they just didn't know what to do with us. And it was a great feeling. And it really kind of set my entire life in motion um, in so many ways. Um, So yeah, that was the uh, Angry Samoans, You Stupid Jerk, just great. Yeah, that that was a that was a great record. I remember that. That's that's like I think that's their first one, isn't it? Their first record. Oh, no, they had one called Inside My Brain. Oh, okay. That's like an EP that's got you stupid asshole on it, and it's 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 get off the air. It's really really great. And I saw them play actually at CBGB's, um, and it was interesting because the place was quite empty, and I. I'm, it was strange because they were a real heroic band to me. They were huge to me, and I went. They, I saw in the Village Voice that they were going to be playing at CBGB's, and I went down, and it was pretty empty. It was. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was cool to get to see them like that, but I remember being like, "Huh, that's so weird. These guys are amazing." So, I think my, I don't know what my order is, but I know that my next band is, or another band that kind of is. Um, oh yeah. Oh okay. No, we're gonna go with Donna Summer. I gotta bring Donna Summer in only because. It was a song I heard as a kid. I can remember the heat of the summer and it was a perfect song. Like when it came, when I heard it, it was perfect. And I went out and I got the eight track, you know, big ass eight track. And my parents had a eight track. It was the first eight track I had ever bought. And I put it in, I just played hot stuff over and over and over and over. And, um, and my band covered hot stuff banana fish zero and it was like when we when we ripped out hot stuff the place always went crazy no matter where we were so it's one of those songs that just crosses over into the heavy metal people punk rock jazz it doesn't matter like hot stuff is just a badass song and she's a badass performer so i had to mention that one because even though at that time i heard that disco sucked i uh I really thought no, it doesn't. I really like this song. Oh, I, I have, I have, a, great. I, I have several disco records in my collection from when I was a kid. Still, and it's it's, yeah. it's legit music, really. You know, it's fantastic. I mean, now as an adult, I I kind of reach back into the disco, and uh, you know, b- bands like Casey and the Sunshine Band, they're just like exceptional. Like the music, at least to me, I really still find it wonderful. Now, I love Motorhead and all that, but you know. Casey and the Sunshine Bands, that's some great stuff. That really gets you moving. You know, I mean, obviously, disco made a huge impact because Kiss has a disco record, too. Yeah. They got Dynasty, which they're obviously trying to make it, you know, disco music, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you know, Donna Summer wrote that song about you, John. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I think she wrote it about you, too, but we can talk about that after this podcast. <laughs> um. Yeah, my next one is, uh, you know, basically these guys just changed. Whereas the Angry Samoans introduced me, like they were kind of the door to something. Black Flag and My War really 
defined a lot because they took, I was really into punk rock. I was really into fast hardcore. I was into the circle jerks. You know, we were seeing the circle jerks, DOA, Angry Samoans, all these bands. We were just going every single time they played in the city, we would be there. And, um, and then suddenly Black Flag came back after playing us Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. And suddenly they come out with the heaviest shit I've ever heard in my life. And I remember when they first started, I was like thinking, well, first of all, Henry had long hair, which was a change. He was in a pair of shorts now, barefoot. And I just remember thinking, I think this might be out of tune. I think they need to tune up. <laughs> and, but halfway through the set, I realized that I was witnessing something that was exceptional and um, really gonna change, well, it definitely changed the way I felt about music, but I would go on to argue that uh, my war is basically the blueprint for grunge, side B. You know, you listen to songs like Beat My Head Against the Wall One More Time and Three, Three Nights. Those are super heavy duty grunge songs. That's like, you know, when you listen to Bleach, you know, those guys were kind of trying to capture that. And Kurt Cobain loves that dissonant um, leads like Greg Ginn. You know, they don't quite make sense. Like if you looked at it, I'm not a, like a technical musician, but I imagine that they're breaking all the rules. Greg Ginn's leads are so odd. And a lot of Kurt Cobain's were. Um, so, yeah, when I heard that, I just really loved the fact that um, I think I might have been getting a little bit tired of hardcore because that boop-dap-boop-dap-boop-dap-boop-dap was, you know, after a couple of years of that, I was like, all right, maybe I need something else. So when I heard the My War album, and especially the song My War, changed changed so much for me. Did you, Do you remember when you heard it? Um, yeah, well, there's a couple of different levels with Black Flag. Well, the first time I was introduced to the music was in the Repo Man movie. Oh, yeah. They were, they were the song Life of Pain was in that. And... Um, and then I went down and I tried to find one of their records and I bought the Family Man album, which is like spoken word and instrumentals. And I was like, you know, I didn't know, you know, how are you supposed to know these things? Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in high school listening to this stuff in my room and I'm just like, man, this is like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I like this or if I don't like it. You know, I don't know how I feel about this, you know. And then um, there was a, I, where I grew up in New York State, we were on the border of Connecticut. And there was um, a radio station, a college radio station called WXCI. And they had, um, you know, a hardcore punk show. And they had like the metal shop, which played like Bathory and Venom and all that stuff. And I heard uh, Black Coffee by Black Flag. And I was like, it sounded to me like fast Black Sabbath, you know, and I was just yeah. starting to get into like out of heavy metal and into like the more punk stuff because, you know, I was like, playing guitar, but I wasn't good enough to play like Judas Priest songs or anything like that. So I'm like, oh, this is like this Black Flag stuff is like, I can play this. I can play the Ramones. I can play, you know, stuff like that. And um, yeah, just the feelings of like frustration of being a suburban teenager and, uh, you know, the loneliness, the alienation, like all that stuff just seemed to be encapsulated more so in Black Flags music than it was in any of the other bands I was listening to at the time. And uh, ever since with those three things, Life of Pain from the Repo Man soundtrack, the, the Family Man spoken word instrumental record, and hearing Black Coffee 
on a radio station, like in the middle of the night, like those three things converged on me. And that's set me off, like on my, like starting a band and the way I approached music and, you know, just kind of the way I started doing things was really tied into those, those experiences, you know? Yeah. They really captured rage so well, like teen onk, teen rage, you know, like probably, you know, black flag really nailed it. I have to just add about black flag is their label SST that they ran. And the fact that a label, you know, out of Redondo beach and that kind of music found this kid in upstate New York in 1982 is kind of, unbelievable and it didn't just find me it found you it found a lot of other people and that this is before the internet so it's all you know it's all just it it's it's amazing how that happened and it be, it came from their relentlessness like they were relentless they were like chinese water torture and they were kids and so like even though we're not kids anymore we completely use the sst model in our filmmaking which is we're going to do it we're going to be relentless we're, we're never going to stop getting in the van, you know, it's like, and we'll play the tiniest theater. We'll play a closet. If someone's going to play our movie, we'll go and we'll watch it on a closet wall or we'll play a big theater. Just like SST, like those guys and girls, because there was girls involved. Kira was amazing. They were relentless. And I, and they taught me a lot about uh, just like completely believing in your art. And if you listen to their art, it's not very accessible. Like they really convinced a lot of people. They, they're just exceptional artists. Did you, you know the band Blind Idiot God? Yeah, yeah, the guy, one of those guys is, uh, lives, in, lives in Brooklyn actually. Oh, Andy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so his brother, um, I haven't seen him in years and years, but his brother was one of my great friends in college who introduced me to a lot of awesome bands like Bad Brains and then his brother's band, yeah. When you're just talking about SST, I mean, they were like an SST band and, and kind of obscure in many ways. You know, they were really, they were fun to see live. But one time I saw them in, in like town hall, like this nice, you know, and then, then I would also see them in like these dive places in, you know, the Lower East Side. Yeah, I think he's playing drums in this band called um, um, Insect Arc now which uh, that's my friend Dana's band. And uh, she's, she just moved uh, to Berlin um, actually this week, you know, and she plays, uh, she's like a multi-instrumentalist. She plays in the Swans and, and um, oh, wow. she was in Angels of Light and uh, Insect Arc is like her project that she does. And Andy, I think it's Andy is the drummer from Blind Idiot God is her new drummer. So. Cool oh, wow. Cool. Um, well, they should have made maybe a blind date with uh, Aptera. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we just mentioned something real fast when you talked because you were talking about my war, and, and then uh, you when I was in high so maybe like in 1985 or six, I had to do a presentation in English class, like a creative presentation, and the theme was war. And so I used like it was like a total, like audible you know, um, oral presentation, and I used my war, um, fear, you know, uh, let's have a war, and uh, and then institutionalized, I don't know why, because even though that wasn't about war, but it was like a battle between the family, and it was going back and forth, and I made this little mixtape about it, and, and I was, and I don't know how I, I, they let that one pass. That's 
my next one is pigs, 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 pigs. Completely never heard of this band before, which is cool. So, oh. yeah. So we were at a festival in London and we were getting interviewed by this terrific guy named Stuart Wright. And I always ask people, hey, what, what are you digging these days musically? And he's like, ah, oh. he's like, oh, I don't know. Try this band called Pigs, 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 Pigs. And first of all, I love the name. So I was like, wow, that's great. I'm going to check these guys out. And as the, the very first time I spun them, I fell in love with their sound and their energy and their music. And it is, to me, it's like Norwegian gods rolling across the sky. And it's had a huge effect on um, our music for our upcoming movie. Um, it's just so driving and he sings just so gutturally, but kind of like right on, right on the money. You know, it's not like dissonant. It's just really exceptional. Um, so, you know, this band, like if you, if you want to listen, GNT is the song that you, you start with, at least I think, but they have a ton of great stuff. And, and they actually have a hilarious video. Is the video for GNT? I, I think, think so. it is. If you get a chance, you got to watch the YouTube video for GNT. Okay. It's like, it's kind of, he had, he wears the midsummer like a uh, flower hat. <laughs> and it's like really, it's actually really well done. So, um, yeah, they've had a big, we, we, we've been spinning GNT a lot with Zelda. Zelda loves it. Toby loves it. And we've all felt like, you know, we want that to influence heavily what's coming out now with where the devil roams our kind of like singular sound that we're hoping to put out so um the last song that i oh yeah were you gonna say something oh, no i was just gonna say yeah it's like it's uh i i'd never even heard of them before and i was you know checking it out i was like yeah this is something i want to dig deeper in, into as well so yeah i mean i'll check out that video too like you were saying what did you think of gnt it's cool. It was like a heavy psychedelic sort of thing. Like I got like more of like a psychedelic feel out of it. And and what's cool is their build up to it. You know, it's like uh, the the kind of intro to that song is is it starts out kind of like you say. It's a little psychedelic. It's a little spacey. But when they kick it all in, it is a monster truck rolling down the road. You know. Yeah. Actually, yeah. speaking of truck, truck fighters, have you ever listened to truck fighters? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys are cool. I, I just heard about them just a few months ago, actually. So we love truck fighters, too. And in a sense, they're in the same world as truck fighters. Kind of like Mosa too. Like yes, like Slomosa. Like, it's, I don't know, it kind of feels like, like where Stoner Rock is, has gone. You know, like Stoner Rock, like the original Stoner Rocks, like Kaius and like Fu Manchu, they got more of a fuzz riff vibe. You know, and that Southern California kind of laid back stoner vibe, like Sabbath. But these new bands like Slow Mosa, um, Pigs, 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 they're, I just, I, I love where they're going with it. And my last band, it's funny, I'm, I'm going all things that have had a big effect on, on kind of my life is um, Suicidal Tendencies, I Saw Your Mommy. And... The reason I, I wanted to pick this one is it's I got turned on as, as a kid when I heard this by the horror of it. The, this was a horror song. This is a song that was really vicious and hilarious at the same time, which is can be so fun about horror films. It's like, why do you laugh 
I don't know. I laugh a lot at, at things that are horrible. <laughs> I hope other people do. But, you know, when I heard this song, I laughed because it was just like kind of vicious, kind of horrible. But it was also, this was the first band that I had heard, you know, cross over from like basically combined hardcore and metal. Yeah, and for sure. Yeah, an, definitely. An exceptional guitarist who could rip these insane rock metal leads. But then at the same time, they could stomp down the best hardcore I'd ever seen. And, you know, so I know Institutionalized is the one that everybody, you know, that's the big one that made them famous. But um, there's a, I think the whole album is really exceptional. Like I can go back and listen to it and I don't have to skip over anything. Yeah, because it's it's so to the point and, and it's actually a pretty short record too, the first suicidal record. You know, and um, and I mean, you, you, the magic word is crossover because I mean, they're I guess they're credited with being like one of the first crossover bands. You know, the metal, thrash, metal, hardcore crossover. You know, like that whole thing with like DRI and suicidal. And um, I always like suicidal a little bit more than DRI, though. Honestly, I, I agree with you. Um, I think I really respect DRI. I think they're a bunch of badasses, but. Uh, suicidal was phenomenal. I saw them a bunch of times. Every time I saw them, they put on an amazing show. You know, coming from the East Coast, there was like I wasn't used to kind of that gang look, that gang yeah. mentality. So it was like I, I saw it. It was again, it was tantalizing because it was scary. You know, I wanted to go see these guys because I was like, they look like real freaking gang guys. I also loved that they were multicultural. Yep. You know, they weren't just a bunch of white dudes. They were in in. Everything about them was cool to this kid up in upstate New York. So, yeah, they were definitely a scary band back in the '80s. You know, like even the whole imagery with the skulls and and just you know, like in my mind, like skulls were like a metal thing, you know. And then right. when you saw that you're like into punk and hardcore, and it's like these guys like are into like death and you know murder and stuff. It's like you know, it's weird, you know. But it also was scary because, like, it was scary because they, you know the back of their album had all the pictures of all the suicidal shirts, and so they looked like a gang. And yes. Tell, you know the way they were wearing their their shit. It was like they, these guys are a gang, and it's like yeah, there was gangs, but not like that in New York. Do you know what I mean? Like it was different, and so it was really fun for an East Coaster to check that out. There, there was a book written about um, all of the uh, California, like LA, hardcore gangs. Oh, cool. It's, I forgot the name. Some Disco's Out, Murder's In. That's the name of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, Feral House published it. And it's um, a guy who was a gangster was writing about all of the, um, the hardcore gangs from the 80s. You know, there, there, there's a ton of them, apparently. And uh, a, a friend of mine, um, you know, an older guy who was in LA, he was a singer in Final Conflict, uh, Ron Martinez. I asked him, I said, hey man, do you ever read this book? Cause you, you know, you were there for all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty accurate. You know, the guy obviously inflates like his own involvement in some of this stuff, but like the actual folklore of all the gangster culture there is, he's like, it's pretty much on point. So take, take it as a document of what happened in the early eighties. 
Interesting though, because I think like one of the reasons I kind of drifted from hardcore in, in New York was because it did get super violent. It did get a little overrun with kind of like a little bit of skinhead like mentality, which, you know, all skinhead mentality isn't bad, but there's aspects of it that are just violent. So, and it, and it doesn't really accept anybody outside of their image. And so we, I saw a lot of really dark ass kickings and a lot of like, dark shit going down where, where which made me see i had punk rock was my chance to rebel against that stuff from my town in upstate new york so when it really started to muddy the waters down in the punk scene in new york i kind of like lost my it became less fun and it always seemed to me and maybe i should read this book it always seemed to me that bands like the circle jerks even black flag even though you know there was it seemed like the california hardcore scene had a little bit more a bigger element of fun and inclusion in it you know i might be wrong and then you have the bands from like colorado like seven seconds who you know they were very inclusive so within the punk scene there was a lot of inclusion i so i should look at that because you know it's i always think of the california scene as a, a little bit more happier <laughs> yeah i mean you know um similar similar to that like i the punk stuff was what really got me into that, you know, I, I was more into like, like punk bands like X, you know, the Gun Club and you know, the Ramones, you know, that was like my, my introduction. And then to me, like Black Flag and the Circle Jerks were punk bands, you know, but then I discovered what hardcore was. Uh, and I was like, I don't know about this. This is like, you know, this is kind of like, there's like all these guys, you know, with their shirts off and everything. And I was like, well, you know, X were like, you know, my, my girlfriend like turned me on to X. It was like, like all these like cool, like young, younger, you know, when I was a kid, like these girls that we knew were into like that music too. It wasn't just like guys, you know, and, and it was like a very uh, macho kind of vibe, which I wasn't really into, you know? So yeah, yeah I, hardcore has never really been my thing, honestly. That's why I drifted from hardcore. And it's funny because as I drifted from hardcore, I moved out to Seattle, Washington, and that was the perfect place to land because that's when kind of grunge was just starting to happen. So it was like it had all those elements of punk that I liked, but it also had the laid back kind of feel that the Seattle grunge bands brought to music. You know, it was, it was a perfect place to land. Wow. So you guys have lived all over then, you know, Seattle, New York City. You know. lived in Topanga Canyon in Los Angeles for six years. Seattle was a great place to be. And I was there from 86 to 90. And so like I saw Nirvana, I saw, uh, you know, um, you know, the really the band to see was um, Mud Honey. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. There's nothing better than a Mud Honey show. Nothing. And talk about fun. You know, talk about fun and terrific fuzzy rock. And another Melvin's Connection. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was oh, Matt Lucan. Matt Lucan from Mudhoney played in the Melvins briefly. I was good. I was going to be on my list too, and it, it didn't make the cut today. But I, yeah, I love Mudhoney. I remember. One have you heard? Uh, have you heard Green River, which is oh, the band? Sure. Before? Yeah. Yeah. That 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 band's pretty pretty awesome and kind of unsung. Like a lot of people don't remember them. Yet it has all these famous guys in it. Well, when, when I moved out there, they were the heroes. Like, they were the biggest band, Green River, and they had a song called Swallow My Pride. No, yeah, 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 yeah Swallow My Pride. And it was like, and I think, um, uh, you know, the big band, Soundgarden, covered it. But the original version is excellent. There's an EP put out by uh, Green River that's 
really terrific. And that's I think Sub Pop's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sub Pop collected their the EP and the LP and put it out on a disc. That, that's that's what I have. I don't have like the vinyl of those records. And they're they're that's a they're they're a great band. I just wish more people knew about them. You know. Yeah, yeah it's funny that they don't them. because the music's really well. I mean, it's slightly kind of roughly recorded, but the riffs are there and the thingings there, and it's got a feeling that's just terrific. It's almost like if you took Aerosmith and the Stooges and like smashed them together you know what i mean absolutely yeah absolutely yeah well thanks guys that's awesome and um you know for everyone that's listening can you just kind of run down like you know where people can, can check out what you what, you know the movies or any kind of like uh landing page or social media links or anything you want to talk about yeah sure well our website is wonderwheelproductions.com and then we got a new, the band website is just about to go live and that's hellbender.com, but the E's are sixes. And actually Hellbender, the band, we've, we've got the vinyl that, uh, that's coming out that uh, Ship to Shore is putting out, Ship to Shore Phono Call, um, the, uh, pretty soon. And uh, But we're on Spotify and iTunes. Yeah. But all this, all, like Toby said, all the E's are sixes with the Hellbender. And then on Instagram, we're adams.family.films, and we love talking with people, and we love getting new music sent our way and just talking art. Well, once again, I could probably go on for another three hours talking to you guys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but thanks for joining us. And um, yeah, this is great. And good luck with everything. And um, have, a, have a nice weekend. And when this goes up, I'll send you guys a link. Thanks so thanks, much Mike. for having and us. So I much fun. I want to see you, uh, you play live. So that's on our... Uh... We're, we're going to be going back on tour in November and uh, I can't announce it yet because, uh, you know, it's not, you know, they get upset with you and you announce things before they're, uh, you know, before they're ready to have it announced. But we'll be playing in New York and uh, I have the date, but I, don't, I, I forgot what venue. I think it's, um, it's either at Irving Plaza or, uh, or Gramercy, like either one of those places. That's where we so, met. Yeah. We met you know what? You, that's what I remember that from when you guys were on uh, on the last driving. Yep. So there you go. Maybe you'll be in Irving Plaza. Love to see you yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Good I'll send you guys some stuff. You know, like we'll, offline. I'll I'll Please. put a package together if you if some vinyl. If you guys are into vinyl and stuff. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. All right. Have a nice weekend. Thanks, yeah. Nice conversation, buddy. Peace. Bye. -bye.